Hi, welcome to the Perry Hall Family Worship Center podcast. We put out weekly messages to challenge, encourage, and inspire you. You can send any questions or prayer requests to connect at perryhall.life. If the message speaks to you, go ahead and subscribe for more. God is listening to you. The King of Kings, the creator of everything, is listening to you. 24 hours a day. He's listening when you pray, of course. He's listening when you speak to him or to anyone else. He's listening when you dream. God is listening to every fear, every doubt, every celebration. He doesn't just hear it. He's listening to all of it. Notice I didn't say God is God hears you. I said he's listening to you. I think a lot of times there's a huge difference in hearing and listening. Hearing can be and often is completely passive and disengaged. I can hear you, but I don't get what you're saying. I'm not invested. I'm not paying attention. Listening has to be active and fully engaged. Let me put it this way. I have a six-year-old son, and we made the great parenting choice to buy an iPad for him. And when my six-year-old son has an iPad, that is the worst time in the world for me to speak to him about anything that matters, to give him instruction or to engage with him. Let me tell you what happens. I can go to him and I can say, son, in five minutes, I need you to go over here and clean this up and get ready for dinner. Not only does he hear me, he'll answer me. He'll say, "Uh uh-huh, okay, dad, I'll do it. Five minutes later, I come back and nothing has changed. He hears me. He is definitely not listening to me. That said, God, the King of Kings, is always listening to you. He's never distracted. He's always listening. He's always engaged. Can you think about that for a second? Sometimes that doesn't feel like a good thing. Sometimes you stop and go, oh, he he heard that too. I know I've been there. I want to go to John 10, starting in 22. And this is a passage I've heard Pastor Dom mention many times, and it speaks to me greatly. Jesus is at a festival, festival of dedication. He's surrounded by many Jewish people. I'm actually going to pick it up in verse 24. It says this, the Jews who were gathered around him, who were there gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep listen. Now, I know there's some people out there, some pastors and some scholars are going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Other versions say hear. And you said there's a difference between hearing and listening. I know New King James say, my sheep hear my voice. But I want to tell you how not smart I am in that I spent one semester taking Greek and learning very roughly how to translate it. So this is not me saying I know anything about anything. What I did learn is in the original Greek, every word has so many vastly different meanings. And really, the only way you can nail it down is to put it all together, to bring it together in context. 
I remember that my final exam was translating the book of First John with nothing but a Greek to English lexicon. And I was sitting there a very long time trying to figure out what each individual word meant. The original Greek word here that I'm going to butcher in front of you just so we can learn together is something to the effect of akousin. That's the word for listener here they're using in this situation. Here's just a few of the meanings that I found for this word. To attend to. Consider what is or has been said. To understand. Perceive the sense of what is said. To give ear to a teaching or a teacher. To comprehend. To understand. This word is not a six-year-old with an iPad. This word means my sheep listen to my voice. They understand it. They're giving me their attention. They're attentive. I know we hear this a lot, like we need to listen to the voice of God, and I know that's a big concept. I know it can be overwhelming. I, in my lifetime, have never seen a burning bush like we see in the Old Testament, the audible voice of God coming out. But God wants to speak. He is speaking. It's whether or not we're listening. It is a learned habit and skill to search out, find, listen to the voice of God. And I can tell you some practical ways to do that are literally the Bible. Let's just start there. That book exists so that we can hear and listen and understand the voice of God. The disciples had to learn to listen. The disciples didn't meet Jesus and then instantly understand everything. In fact, a lot of times Jesus was speaking and they were the six-year-old with the iPad. They heard him, but they didn't get it over and over again. And I want to look at a passage together right now where Peter is learning. He's actively learning to listen to the voice of Jesus, and he's learning to trust in this moment. Pastor Dom, if you were here on Christmas Eve, this is, this is crazy. Sometimes as a, as a church leadership or staff, you're looking for the voice of God to lead you forward. You're wondering where he's taking you. God took me to this passage, and I told Pastor Dom about it, and he said, that's crazy. God took me to this passage. So if, if you're one of these people who's looking for the voice of God, you want to know if he's talking, you want a sign, how about this? God wants us to read this, to study it, to know it, and to pull a whole bunch of things from it. This is the passage where Peter ends up walking on water. It's Matthew 14, starting in verse 22, says this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. I'm sorry, but this takes me back to being a kid and watching like Scooby-Doo and the gang every time like the bad guy comes around the corner and they're shaking and screaming. That's what they look like to me here. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I want to pause there for a second. Jesus is listening in this moment. He's already walked through a storm to find them. It would not be too, too crazy to expect him to be insulted. Like they've been around him. They know him. They see him. And instead they're afraid and they cry out, it's a ghost. But he's listening. He hears their fear. And he doesn't reply with an instant rebuke or he doesn't act insulted in this moment. He hears and understands their fear and he responds with words of assurance. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, 
walked on the water and came toward Jesus. I want to pause there for a minute. Jesus was listening. He responded with encouraging words. Peter's listening. Jesus only has one word. He just says, come. Peter's listening. He's paying attention, and he reacts. He gets out of the boat. Can you try to imagine that for one second? Like that actual situation, being told to step out on the water. Peter is growing. He's learning to listen. He's learning to trust. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Jesus is listening. You see this going back and forth? They're listening to each other. Peter made some moves, and then then he got off focus, just like Pastor Dom talked about on Christmas Eve. Jesus doesn't abandon him. He doesn't say, you get what you deserve, and step into the boat and leave him there. He reaches down, pulls him out of the water. That's what it says. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? Now, this is important because right now at this point, Jesus has Peter's full attention. Peter has done something no other human has ever done. He knows this is Jesus. He's fully engaged. Jesus has rescued him, and he takes this moment to rebuke, to teach a lesson. You of little faith, why do you doubt? Jesus knows that Peter is listening. He knows that he is fully engaged and invested in what he's about to say. This isn't a cruel statement. This is a lesson learned. He's teaching him moving forward. So we've established here that Jesus is listening. Peter is listening. They're they're comprehending each other. This is the part where I think it's really easy to start to bash Peter for taking his eyes off Jesus and getting overwhelmed by the wind and the waves. But can we just remember, Peter's the only one that got out of the boat. Scooby and the gang are back there shaking in their boots on the deck of the boat, terrified. Peter got out of the boat. He actually walked on water. One of two people in all of Scripture, including Jesus, that we've seen do this. You want to talk about learning to trust? Peter's learning to trust. He's learning to listen. And haven't we all been guilty, just like Pastor Don said on Christmas Eve, of taking our focus off of Jesus, especially this year? I don't know about you. I felt like I was sinking. Have you felt like you're sinking at any point this year? Even if you feel that way, even if you are, don't forget that the very same Jesus that walked through the storm to get to his people is in the middle of 2020 standing right next to you. And the second you call out his name, he's going to reach out his hand. He's going to pull you above the wind and the waves. Listening and trusting is a process. It's a process, though, that brings lasting change. And after all, that's why we're here this morning, right? That's what we want, change. Maybe we showed up to sing some songs and to be social and to see some friends. But what we should be here for is change. And that's what Jesus wants for me and for you. He wants change. I want to go back to John chapter 10, starting in verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep, All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. There's that word again. We're learning who to listen to and who not to listen to. Verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I said earlier, maybe you're looking for the voice of God. Maybe you're hoping for it. Why not here? Why not now? 
Maybe God's speaking to us today. Maybe he's been speaking to me over the last few weeks as I'm, as I'm reading the scripture. I think what we're looking for is change. I think if we look at our life right now and look at the situation the disciples were in, we're the disciples in the boat. 2020 is our wind and waves. And what's left to say about it? We've experienced loss of every kind across the board. People have lost lives and loved ones. We've lost jobs and careers, lost businesses. We just, we've seen churches shut down. We've seen it all. And worse than that, we've seen severe division in our country and even within our churches. It's felt like an unrelenting hurricane. But remember, we're not, and we never have been in this storm alone. As I said earlier, that very same Jesus is standing right in the middle of 2020 with his hand out, and he's speaking. But are we listening? Do we trust him, or are we so caught up in the moment, like my six-year-old with an iPad, that we can't register the voice of God, and we can't register what he's trying to teach us? So the question for me is, do I want to walk on water with the King of Kings, or I just want to cower in fear on the boat? But what if we start to sink, you might say, call out. Call out to Jesus. He's perfect. We're not. He knows it. He expects growth. He expects us to grow in trust and faith and love, but he doesn't expect us to get it right right away, and he's standing right there. Right now, some of you, some of us, I have, we might feel stuck or overwhelmed by life in a pandemic. You may be grieving or battling addiction, and you may think there's no way out. That is simply a lie the enemy wants you to believe wholeheartedly and to live your life by. Remember, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to give you life and life more abundantly. And I understand if you feel that way. I've been there. But I'm telling you now, if I tell you nothing else today, that is a lie. That is an absolute lie. And I want to take a second right now because guess what? Whatever 2020 has been, it's almost over. <laughs> We're coming to the end. Can we celebrate that for one second? The 2020 is almost over. But the more importantly, more importantly, I want you to know this. 2020 is almost over. We're coming out the other side. We're figuring some things out. We're not out of the woods yet, yes. But whatever it's been, however hard it's been, you're still here. You are still here. If you can hear me right now, God has a purpose for you. You're still here. You can celebrate that. That's absolutely. You've made it. We've all made it through some crazy things. And I know that we just celebrated Christmas, and you, you can look around this building and tell that we take it seriously. You can tell we put some thought into how we're going to celebrate Christmas as a church. And I've, I've often, I guess, immaturely made fun of Christmas services at church, talking about how we treat it like the Super Bowl of church. But something I've learned is we don't do it for numbers. It's not because a bunch of people are here and we want to impress them. It's because it is the highest attended time of the year and there's people here who don't know Jesus that we won't be able to reach outside of those few weeks. So we take it incredibly seriously. We go all out, not for ourselves, but to reach people for the gospel. And so Christmas and, and Thanksgiving and all these other holidays seem like such a huge deal and they are, but I'm kind of working on the idea here that maybe New Year's Eve is a bigger deal. Because that is the time of year that we focus on what? Change. That's the time of year when we look for a new start, where we look to go a brand new direction. Every New Year's Eve, we do the same thing, right? We make a New Year's... <laughs> we make a New Year's resolution. It's, look, it's an old tradition. It's born out of good intent, but more often than not, we fail to keep them. Put your hand up if you've ever failed to keep one New Year's resolution. 
Keep it up if you fail to keep two. How about five? Now keep your hand up if you just said, I'm not making any more New Year's resolutions because I never keep them. That is 100% me. Here's the other thing about resolutions. It can become a prison. Because maybe November 1st, you have change that you know you need to make, but you're looking at a calendar going, that's ah, only November 1st. I'm going to just keep this thing that's destroying me until January 1st. Instead of making a change now, I'm just going to hold on to it. New Year's resolutions are not bad, but they're not enough. What you need, what I need, what we need right here today, right now, is not a New Year's resolution, but a life revolution. Part of the definition of revolution says a dramatic and wide-reaching change in the way something works or is organized or in people's ideas about it. That's what I need. I don't need lip service. I don't need to say, here's something I, I need to change. I need a dramatic and wide-reaching change in the way something works. Whatever that thing is, it's tearing me apart. I want you to take out your phones right now. That's right. Someone's speaking. A pastor's telling you to take out the phone during the sermon. That's terrifying, I know. Grab your phone or however you take notes. I mean, you've been taking notes the whole time, I'm sure. You wouldn't want to miss or forget this. But whatever that is, we got pens in the back of the seat. You can take them with you. I want you to do this. In your notes section or on your paper, whatever you've got in front of you, I want you to type or write down one to three things that you absolutely know need to change about your life, the way you're living it, whether it is a struggle with sin, whether it is a bad habit, relationships, whatever is happening. I want no one look at each other's phone. I don't want anyone fighting in the middle of this thing. One to three things that you know need to change. And I want you to take a note that it is Sunday December 27th. You can look back at that giant clock on the wall. I want you to take the time down. Because the idea here is we're going to look back on this thing next year and you got to look at these notes. I don't want you to delete them or throw them away or erase them. You got to look back at them. Now, if you're feeling crazy bold and you know I do this all the time, think of a person in your life who's really got your back, someone who loves you, who's invested, who you can trust that wants to better you. Send that note to them. Text them. I'll wait right here, right now. It sounds crazy, but a revolution takes bold choices. And you want to start a conversation, you want to get another person involved, say, hey, here's something I need to change this year. You're inviting them to hold you accountable. You're inviting them to walk through it with you. Now, don't start playing among us or angry birds. Don't forget Jesus is watching. He sees everything. And well, I want to dare you to put it out there because you got to do something, right? If you do nothing, nothing changes. Let me say that again. If you do nothing, nothing changes. I'll say it another way. If you want to see a difference, do something different. Don't get stuck where you're at. Now, I am not, I know this is shocking. I'm not a great student. I got some decent grades at times in school, but I had to study 10 times harder than most of you. Uh, me, and, me and Neil might be in the same camp or he might have been a straight A student. I'm not really sure, but it took a lot of work for me. So I like to create just different devices, acronyms, mnemonic devices, whatever it is, it helps me remember some things. And so when I, when I talk about a life revolution this year, I've, I've got some words that are gonna pop up here and we're gonna talk through it. Okay, the acronym is, is PRAY. That's easy to remember, right? Pray. So if you want to jot these down in your notes too. First, the first word is personal. The P stands for personal. And what am I saying when I say personal? If you want change, if you want to do something different, if you want to be a different person next year than you are right now, you are the only person that can make that decision. 
You have to want that. I can't do it for you. You know how many people have been literally drugged into a rehab center only to check themselves out the next day? I don't care if we're talking about addiction or sin or habits or whatever it is. Change doesn't come until it's here, until you want to change. It does not start with anyone else or in any other situation. The R stands for revolution. Not just lip service, make sincere changes without excuses. Decide what is worth dying for, maybe more importantly, worth living for. Do you know how many people were martyred for their faith in the New Testament? That's revolutionary thinking. They were willing to live their life and lay it down for what they believed. You need a dramatic and wide-reaching change in the way something works or is organized. Those one to three things you wrote in your notes, I don't know, I don't need to know what they are. Unless you texted it to me, if I'm your person, then I guess I'll know when I get down from here. It's got to be personal. You need a revolution. The A is for all. It's a very simple idea. You got to be all in. You got to be all in. When you decide to make a change, you can't leave anything out. In the book of Luke chapter 14, there's a spot that I saw when I was 19 years old that crushed me. It says, in the same way any of you does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus has no interest in part of us. He wants everything. And if you want Jesus to work in you and to change, you've got to be all in. It's got to be personal. You've got to be living for a revolution, a spiritual revolution. You've got to be all in. Now the why, this is the tough one where some of you might walk out on me. The why is for a year. I made you take that note and take the date down for a reason. If you're going to change something, you've got to commit to a year. I know, I see the pain on your faces. Maybe what's wrong with a week? It's not going to cut it. A month's not going to cut it. Six months is not going to cut it. You want real change. If it's worth changing, it's worth changing for a year. I promise you this. How many of you grew up hearing this? It takes 21 days to break or build a habit. To break a bad one. Raise your hand if you're familiar with that. You've heard that. Me too. And I, every time I heard it, I instantly assumed, you know what? There's got to be a lot of science behind that. There's not. <laughs> As I was researching that idea, it comes from a book written in 1960 called Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz, who is a plastic surgeon. He noticed it took his patients roughly 21 days to get used to their new face. It has nothing to do with behavior. It has nothing to do with habits. We've just accepted that. So I thought there's got to be something else out there. So in 2009, the University College London followed 96 people for 12 weeks. And this is what they found. For them to break an old habit or build a new one, it took an average of 66 days. So forget 21. We're talking about roughly two months. But it gets crazier because the individual times varied from 18 days to 254 days. And I don't know where I fall or where you fall in that scale when we're trying to build or break habits. So what I'm telling you is 365 ought to do it. It's got to be personal. You've got to want revolution in your life. You've got to be all in. Give it a year. And this is probably the most important thing I can leave you with. The same study that followed those, I think, 96 people found that it's harder to stop doing a certain behavior if you don't replace it with a better behavior. You following me here? And one of the, one of the things, and I'm, please hear me, don't get me fired. I'm not telling you to go smoke cigarettes. But what they found is 
nicotine gum or sprays or these kind of things were, were way more effective at getting people to quit smoking than a patch because there was something to it. They're doing something. If you want to get rid of old behavior that you don't want anymore, you can't just stop doing the things that are pulling you backwards. You got to start doing the things that will push you forward. You got to not just read, but study God's word. You got to pray. And when you pray, you can't just talk the whole time. You got to listen and expect to hear something. Maybe you need to seek professional Christian counseling. You got to replace the bad with the good. That's the only way you're going to move forward. Make it personal. Start a revolution. Go all in. Give it a year. We can stand now. We're going to we're going to sing together again and I'll be back up to close this out, but I really hope I hope this wasn't just for me. I know this has, spoke, this has been speaking to me the whole time I've been preparing this. I hope you came here today wanting change. And if you didn't come here wanting change, I hope you want it now. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us answers and making the Christian life an open book test. Give us a hunger and a desire for it. We love you more than anything. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out the Perry Hall Family Worship Center podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. If you want to know more about our church, go to perryhall.life.